0: You're listening to the Weekly Wrap-Up on Sprott Money News.
1: Happy Friday. Welcome to Sprott Money's Weekly Wrap-Up. This is Cam Hisari filling in for Craig Hemke. This week's special guest is Tavi Costa, who's a partner and portfolio manager at Crescat Capital. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoy today's podcast, please like, share, and subscribe to our channel. Also, be sure to tune in to our monthly Ask the Expert and Precious Metals Projections podcast. All right, Tavi, thanks for joining me today. Talk about a volatile week, to say the least. Tavi, do you think U.S. equities in general are in a bubble?
0: I do. I do think they're in a the bubble. Uh, we've had you know, a list of valuation factors that we looked at at Crescet Capital. What we find is that we're probably in, in one of the the biggest speculative bubbles in equity markets we've seen in a real long time. Um, If you looked at valuations from a median perspective, from an average perspective, or even from uh, more of a market cap aggregate perspective, all of those show that we are uh, in highly speculative uh, uh, periods right now in in, in the U.S. equity markets. I think it's also accompanied by corporate bond market uh, and sovereign bonds, in the housing market and some other parts of the of the economy, Um, but uh, I would say that the equity markets are indeed uh, extremely overvalued and being propped up by uh, most of the monetary and fiscal uh, policies that we've seen so far, uh, especially since uh, not only the global financial crisis, but uh, the the real intensification of that uh, since since the beginning of the, the pandemic. So, um, I, I believe that the the sentiment is, is euphoric. Um, I think it's hard to to justify those valuations that we have, especially in high-flying names such as the tech space. Uh, and, and those are companies that have done very well in a very positive deflationary uh, economic environment where I don't think it's going to be uh, what we're going to be seeing in the following years. I think it's going to be quite different where cost of capital is going to rise and it's going to make it difficult for investors to
1: justify uh their positions in those uh in those markets. Speaking of troubled markets, according to Bloomberg, over 24% of the Russell 3000 index are zombies. Toby, is the collapse of zombie companies inevitable?
0: Well, I think it is. I think uh most of those companies are capable of surviving in in this uh in, in this, this economic scenario, uh, especially when cost of capital is low. Uh, you know, a lot of the companies today from Uber to Netflix uh, to other companies in the software and, and, and tech space and, and even casinos that never make any money uh, would would have a very hard time surviving if they were uh, in the 70s. And so I think as cost of capital rises, it's going to make a lot more difficult uh, for investors to uh, to navigate the space. And so uh, profitability and margins are going to become uh, a priority. And so, you know, which company today has profitability is the bottom line improvement is out of favor. And so that's the whole rotation out of growth over value stocks into uh, really undervalued value stocks, especially in the natural resource uh, uh, industries. And so, I think that that's going to uh, occur in the following years, where we're going to see a rotation out of those uh, high names. Um, And uh, and I think profitability is going to start to become a priority again. It's important to know that a lot of the factors that have worked in the past, which were mostly the top line growth, revenues growth, were usually um, the factors that have uh, really performed very well for companies in terms of the 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 selection of securities process. Um, I think that's about a change where we're going to see the bottom line improvement now becoming uh, a bigger deal. And I like to see how natural resource stocks, uh, yes, they have rebounded recently, especially since the elections or so, or since the the vaccines, uh, the vaccine news uh, post uh, right after the election date or a week after that. Um, but I, I, I still think that that's where the early innings of that move. Obviously, it's not going to be a straight line, uh, but we're going to see a, a, you know, a continuation of capital flowing into this industry uh, instead of the other, uh, other uh, sectors and industries that have done so well. So the leadership change uh, is, is,
1: I think, it's upon us, uh, and so that's what I'm focused on. A lot of the smart money agree with you on that. Stanley Drunkenmiller, Paul Tudor Jones, J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs are all very bullish on commodities and very concerned about inflation. Uh, Speaking of inflation, which scares the Fed more? Inflation or deflation and why? They will tell you that it's
0: deflation. However, I think it really is inflation. I mean, when you ask the question, can they continue to have their policies? look it it all comes down to inflation if inflation really begins to get out of hand there's not going to be any policies uh, they're going to have to do the opposite and and so we don't know what's what's likely to happen but if, in both in both routes here uh, you see this commodities to equity ratio uh, positioning for a portfolio uh, looking very attractive because if you know either commodities deserve to be much higher or equities don't deserve to be where they are in terms of valuations. It's a perfect spread trade, in my opinion. So that's why I'm so focused on that as part of positioning, instead of, you know, trying to figure out what the Federal Reserve is going to do. But I am aware of what the Federal Reserve routes or uh, possible decisions are uh, in the following years. So I, I think it's uh, uh, inflation is is a much uh, bigger real concern uh, if if we see it deflation doesn't really matter. I mean, it, it allows them to really uh, become more, uh, in, you know, really uh, be able to intervene in a level that we we haven't seen before. Uh, and so, you know, we, we didn't see this level of unlimited money printing uh, in the prior recessions. And so, um, you know, I think that this is, a, you know, a perfect scenario for being able to implement those policies if they would like to. The question is, how do we implement those policies in an inflationary environment? You just can't do it. So I think that uh, they will tell you that deflation is what they're concerned about. But I think inflation could really be uh, the, the, the problem here where it limits central banks from doing what they have been doing in the last decades.
1: The Fed says inflation is transitory. Tavi, do you believe inflation is transitory?
0: no i do not believe inflation is is transitory i think sure in a way it's all about probabilities and i think the higher uh, probability here is that it is not transitory uh, whatsoever and i uh, when you look at especially what is causing this issue which i call the three pillars of inflation uh, they're all running a, a full cylinder right now and so let's just look at them real quick the first one is the fact that we have you know, well above historical average of savings. Um, so, you know, those savings accounts in households in the U.S. Uh, will, in my opinion, translate into uh, higher demand where uh, we may see uh, actually, well, cash in the sidelines being put to work. The second thing is uh, the the net worth of individuals, especially especially the bottom 50% of the population in the U.S., believe it or not, has been doing very well. Uh, their net worth increased by the largest amount in in, in history and in the middle of a recession that looked a lot like a, de- a depression. And and so it's, it's quite interesting to see that increase in net worth, which was partially caused by real estate improvement. But usually, if you study emerging markets, what you learn is that this improvement by the bottom 50% especially tends to cause – uh, you know, higher uh, consumer spending as a whole. And so this is kind of what we're seeing with retail sales and and some other uh, measurements of the economy. I would say the second pillar has to do with the cost flush type of inflation. The number one part of it is the bottleneck, uh, you know, issues we're seeing in, in regards to the supply shortage. Um, sure, some of that will be transitory. The issue that a lot of folks are not looking at is the fact that a lot of the natural resource Industries have been under investing in infrastructure development of, of projects exploration for a real long time we've been in a depression in that side of the the, the market and so I think that uh, you know for those believing that we're we can find uh, improvements in that space quickly uh, are not really uh, either knowledgeable about uh, the time and in, in, in the real you know, the time that it takes to to develop mines and to be able to uh, to actually get uh, natural resources back to the economy as quickly as a lot of economists are uh, planning on. The second part of that is the labor shortage, which is something uh, that we haven't seen in a real long time. And probably, um, you know, we saw some of that in 1919, but in a very different way after the you know, post-pandemic issues that we saw in the Spanish flu. I think the labor shortage issue uh, is just exacerbating uh, the it's one of the the trends that we saw for a long time, which was the declining growth in wages and salaries. And so, investors, or I should say, companies and management in general, is actually going to be pressure, in my opinion, uh, to raise wages and salaries in order to attract uh, uh, workers uh, to return to the labor market. And so, I think this is this is all happening. We've seen signs of that all over the the, the markets today. And the third one of the pillars, uh, really are the monetary dilution part of the, or the debasement side of it, or, or the, uh, the stimulus that we're seeing from the Federal Reserve, uh, especially in order to fund, uh, the fiscal stimulus, uh, where, you know, the Fed is becoming the buyer of last resort of treasuries, and I don't think that's going to change. And so, um, those three parts of the, of, of this inflation, uh, thesis are really important, uh, in my opinion, to believe here that the higher probability in this case is that uh, nothing that we're seeing is going to be transitory. Sure, we saw an acceleration of inflation initially, and now we saw somewhat of a deceleration. Look at lumber prices down 50% from the peak. When you look at lumber prices, as an example, in a quarterly basis going back to the 80s and 70s, it's still well above any other time in history. So we're seeing a real move in commodities, in my opinion. Um, some like to call it a super cycle. I like to call it the beginning of a cycle. Don't know if it's going to look like a super cycle, uh, but I think it's just the beginning of a commodity cycle uh, where uh, I should say that tangible assets should perform better than equity markets. Um, so uh, that's really the call that I'm going for for the following years.
1: Can the Fed raise rates to fight inflation without causing a market crash?
0: I find it difficult to believe that they would be able to do that. Um, I believe that it's, uh, uh, first of all, it became sort of a national order for the Federal Reserve to prop up housing markets by suppressing interest rates. And also the mandate of the Federal Reserve has absolutely nothing to do with inflation uh, or stability and and maximum employment, uh, if we look at what's going on today and any person with a brain looking at the data would easily uh, realize that uh, we are already at higher levels than we were supposed to be in terms of uh, justifying the policies that we have today. So I find it difficult that we'll, the market, the risky assets, will be able to uh, to really uh, you know, sustain these valuations if if we do have tightening policies uh, going forward. So uh, and that is my case for deceleration of growth. Is is that is, is that attempt to uh, to do something like that, like tightening or reducing uh, or tapering or, or raising interest rates? Uh, but it still is a very very positive scenario for tangible assets because I really d- highly doubt that they're going to be able to, to accomplish that mission.
1: Does that mean we need larger and larger stimulus packages in order to keep the economy afloat?
0: I think the economy, I think that's correct. I think the economy is is, is uh, dependent on uh, stimulus uh, from the fiscal and the monetary side in a huge way. Um, and that is why I believe that it's the time to be buying tangible assets, because it's not the time for you to be buying those assets when, you have organic growth, and that's not the case here. Uh, we're seeing quite the opposite with money velocity falling, which some of folks some folks see it as as highly deflationary. Again, it's just one factor that plays into that. We saw that in Japan, gold in in, in Japanese yen terms actually went up while money velocity was falling. But going back to your question, I do believe that uh, it's it's very difficult to see a Great Depression type of uh, scenario given the amount of uh, stimulus and excess liquidity that we're seeing in the system today. And for me, it really falls into two, uh, two routes that the Federal Reserve can take. One is to tighten and, and have this reckoning moment for risky assets, which I highly doubt they would take that route. But the second one is continue to provide liquidity to the equity markets and the economy, the corporate bond markets and so forth, uh, and especially the treasury market. Uh, And and by doing that at a cost of creating inflationary forces. So that's what concerns me is the second route where I think they're going to be taking.
1: Tavi, does that mean you're bearish on the U.S. dollar?
0: I am bearish on U.S. dollar relative to tangible assets. The positioning for CrestKit, I mean, I can only speak for my position in the portfolio rather than, uh, you know, obviously I try to express my opinions as best as I can. I am bearish, answering your question, I'm bearish on the U.S. dollar, uh, but I don't think that the U.S. dollar or the U.S. economy is the only one lacking fiscal and financial discipline um, outside of the rest of the world. We have China doing the same. We have Hong Kong. I mean, the Chinese banking system is is three times, over three times the size of their economy, not even in the peak of 08. We saw that in the U.S., Um, or peak of 07, I should say. When the housing bubble didn't didn't start bursting. Uh, Now, uh, you know, we see the same in Hong Kong, this Europe, you know, highly indebted. So, I think there's a race to the bottom for fiat currencies, and I do think the dollar, though, is a bit stronger than some other currencies. Uh, I would much rather own uh, U.S. dollars than Brazilian real, for instance, or the Chinese yuan. Um, I don't think that, you know, I think that a lot of folks uh, have not done their homework looking at the debt imbalances and how those tend to be you know, perfect recipes for large currency devaluations in places like China and some other areas of Asia. And so and emerging markets would suffer uh, consequently too. And so I think that, uh, um, yes, I am bearish on the U.S. dollar versus gold, but I like to own gold relative to the most overvalued currencies in the world today. So I have gold positions, precious metals positions, commodity positions, tangible asset positions relative to uh, other currencies too. So when you own a miner in Brazil, you're basically owning an asset that uh, performs well when gold and silver prices uh, go up, uh, and we're talking about precious metals miner, uh, but also a company that is paying their employees in in Brazilian reais. So as the Brazilian real devalues, uh, um, you see the margins of those companies improving. So I like to own those assets in a lot of different places,
1: including the U.S. Tommy, a question that I hear often is, why has there been a surge in central bank gold buying over the last few years? And what are these central banks concerned about?
0: Well, there has been a need for improvement of international reserves as one of the main uh, factors to uh, to keep the quality of a currency. Uh, usual, usually, as one of the important Uh, aspect of a strong currency is being backed by strong international reserves. Back in the days, international reserves used to mean owning gold. And so as we enter this process of uh, a race to the bottom of fiat currencies, uh, at least accelerating relative to other years, I believe that uh, there is going to be a need to purchase uh, tangible assets such as gold in order to improve the quality of those uh, of of those reserves, and so I think that's what we're seeing now, and we're probably going to continue to see that going forward. We saw trends like that in other periods of times, uh, especially you know in in the 80s in some in some places like the emerging markets. Um, so I think we're seeing this worldwide today, and even in developed economies too. Uh, but that's a normal uh, trend that you tend to see at times when. Uh, there is this uh you know this notion uh or this this fear of of currency debasement uh you know in in almost any fear currency uh today so um i think that's that's a trend that is here to stay
1: which do you believe right now is more lucrative gold or silver
0: i would say no doubt it's silver um even though i love gold silver is the one commodity or some like to call a currency that is undervalued relative to not only gold, uh, but also undervalued relative to the equity markets. Uh, it's undervalued relative to the monetary base, money supply, uh, to the amount of debt that we have in the system. It's the type of commodity that does very well uh, during a more inflationary environment. We had 30 years of declining inflation. Um, I don't think we're going to see the same in the next 30 years. So I think there will be, uh, you know, we're at the beginning of the bull market for silver. We saw the beginning of that since the the pandemic crash. Uh, we saw a large uh, appreciation of, uh, of of silver uh, prices, and I believe we're now hugging this twenty six, twenty seven dollar handle. And when once we break the you know this this level on a quarterly basis more sustainably, I think we're going to go well above thirty, and then get it up to. Uh, to all-time highs very quickly. Um, so I am very bullish on silver. I think it fits well, this old to the new economy agenda, uh, where a lot of uh, politicians are focused on the electrification of the world and the innovations that we may see from this, but not focused on the highway to get there. And the highway to get there is is on the commodity side. And the commodities, one of the most important ones that fall into that category is silver. And I like the fact that silver has not only those properties, but also the monetary alternative properties of, of actually uh, being one way to to protect against monetary debasement. So um, I think silver is the cheapest metal on earth. I've been saying that for, for a while, and uh, uh, I've been right on that call, and I'm going to stand by that because I believe it's going to be – uh, you know, at a much higher levels in the following years. And I think it's one of the things that I'm mostly excited about. And the best way to be exposed to this, in my opinion, is looking for silver in the ground. Um, that's the most levered way and more asymmetric opportunities that you can find
1: uh, worldwide uh, in, this, in this space. Tommy, how long do you think it's going to take silver to make an all-time high? I think we're going to see that in the next three years.
0: Um, you know, can we see that before? Sure. You know, if things really go uh, bananas in terms of the the policies that we're seeing, even more, uh, yeah, we could see it even earlier than that. But I like to be conservative on that call. You know, and I hope it doesn't happen so quickly. I hope it happens sustainably and calmly, <laughs> and, and so I have the time to uh, uh, not only not only. Well, I'm fully positioned on that trade. However, you know, uh, we own only all over. 80 companies in the in in the precious metals and commodities space already um however i do think that uh i would like this to be a sustainable move to the upside but i'm you know who cares about what i like um uh, you know things could move a lot faster than that and i can definitely see precious metals becoming a bubble uh but i think we're at the beginning of one not at the end of one so i like to i like to be positioned accordingly
1: toby thanks for sharing your wisdom with us today Please let our viewers know where they can find your work. Sure. It's been my pleasure to be part of this. Thank you very much for having me. They uh, can find
0: my work at net. We put out letters and a lot of research pieces there. Uh, you can find my work at Twitter, at Tavi Costa uh, is my handle, and also on Instagram, uh, at Tavi Costa Macro. And the final one would be on YouTube. We do weekly, almost weekly, presentations about companies we get involved in the mining space. Um, and where we talk about the macro environment and our thesis behind, uh, the, or involvement with those companies. So I appreciate the invitation
1: again, to be here. Uh, thanks again for having me. On a final note, there's two kinds of people in this world. Those who believe ignorance is bliss and those who believe knowledge is power. Now, those that believe ignorance is bliss likely won't listen to programs like this. And knowledge is only power if one takes action. If you haven't positioned yourself to be a beneficiary of the coming reset, please call us at one 861 775 to discuss all your bullion options in depth. Alternatively, you can shop online at SprottMoney.com. Well, that's it for this edition of Sprout Money's Weekly Wrap-Up. I hope you found it of value. Please like, share, and subscribe, and see you next week.